Well, good morning. Thanks for having me here. Thank you to Pastor Brett. I know he does not take this lightly in terms of just allowing any and everybody to come share. So I truly um, consider it a privilege and an honor to share with you this morning. Um, yeah, a little bit about myself. Those of you who are not familiar with me, I come, oh yeah, this month would mark 23 years of being in Saskatchewan. Yeah, I don't know if it's woo for me. <laughs> that's, that's half my life right now. And I came with what I thought from a small town, Toronto, three million people. I came with, to, with what I thought would be a one-year stint of Bible college. At least that's what I told God anyways, um, of International Bible College. But then one year became two years, became three years. And then God thought, you know what? It is not good for man to be alone, especially here in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. And so he found me a suitable helper, Marcy. And you can actually put up that slide there of our family. And so that's my wife, Marcy. We've been married 20 years. We just celebrated our 20th anniversary last month. And I'm proud to say that I've become in these 23 years a one-finger-waving, curling-loving, rider-cheering Mustravian. And so it's been crazy how things change, you know, in one's life. And, oh, there goes my family. Where did they go? <laughs> They're not here with me, but um, God has blessed us with four amazing kids. Um, next to my wife is Gabriella. She just turned 13 yesterday, and she's my TikTok dance girl. She loves, you know, every, if it was up to her, she'd do a TikTok video, like, every week, and she'd want me to dance with her, but, yeah, I'm not always down for that. Um, in front of her is Olivia. She's nine. She's what we call our OCD child. She likes everything done in a particular way. She's into the arts and drawing and painting, but she's also into sports, um, curling, fastball, gymnastics. And then next to me, to my right, is our, our daughter, um, Amara. She's 12. So Amara and Gabriella are actually five months apart. We were blessed with the two-for-one special after six months or six years of infertility. Long story short, we uh, applied for adoption. It took, they we applied for adoption. They told us it was going to take seven to ten years to adopt. We went the in vitro route, um, which God miraculously supplied the money for that. And a lot of people here were praying for us in, in regards to our fertility. Um, wanted to implant like as many embryos as possible because we waited six years, but they said you can only implant two. So we implanted two, but only one took, and we were pregnant with Amara. Then social services called and said, hey, there's a young mom that you're a match with. And so we were there when Gabby was born, taking her home the next day. Meanwhile, my wife's pregnant, and people are looking at us and like, this does not make sense. How does this work? And so, yeah, there's our two-for-one special. But Amara is our, like, gentle demeanor, but she's a fierce competitor on the court, um, loves to compete. And then we have Hunter. We were content with three, but we had a few embryos, and we really struggled with the moral, ethical dilemma. What do we do with these embryos? So we was like, you know what? Let's leave it to fate. Let's trust God. If it's meant to be, it will be. So we planted two more embryos, the last remaining embryos, and both of them took. And we were like, Marcy nearly admitted herself to the psych ward because to go from three to five kids was just insane. 
And we often joke that if Hunter was our first child, he would probably be our last because he is busy. I thought my girls were busy, but he is a busy child. He loves sports. He wanted to play hockey pretty much from the time he came out the womb. Finally signed, signed him up for hockey. And the first thing he asked, Dad, when do we get to fight? I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I guess you're going to be one of those kids. And so interesting enough, we're going to be talking about fighting. And as beautiful as this picture may look, we have our share of fights. And so today I want to talk about how to have a good fight. You can go to the next slide. And the scripture verse that we're going to use as the backdrop to this message is from Romans 12, 18. And it says there, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Father God, I just thank you for this day. Thank you for the spirit of worship here in this church. And I thank you for the opportunity to speak from your word. I pray that our hearts would be prepared not to just listen to these words, but to really apply it to our lives. God, continue to be honored and glorified in everything we do. And all God's people said. <clears throat> so notice that it says, as far as it depends on you. So no matter how chaotic things look around, you, around us, God still wants us to pursue peace. So whether that means engaging in, engaging someone directly or removing ourselves from a situation, if we know that is the best way to bring peace in that moment. Now, there's a lot for, for us to unpack here today, but we're going to look at four main things. You can put on that next slide there. And so we're going to first look at why we have conflict. Then we're going to look at how we tend to deal with conflict. Then we're going to look at some biblical examples of conflict and then some practical steps in handling conflict. But let's start off with a few questions. How many here in the past week had a fight with somebody, sibling, kid, classmate, coworker? So, hey, you can own it. <laughs> How many of you here who are married would say that most of your fights are with your significant other, your spouse, or your loved one? <laughs> All right. We know who we're talking to. <laughs> How many people here use Google Maps, GPS? Yeah, we got some of you. I like to call them spouse maps. Okay? So let me tell you how it, what I mean. Google Maps, for example, provide gentle reminders of the speed zone you're in. You'll say... The speed limit is 100 kilometers. Spouse Maps, on the other hand, says, <laughs> sorry, I lost my place here. It says, can you slow down? The speed limit's 40, you know. Google Maps graciously, graciously reminds you that you're going the wrong way and will give you directions to get back on track. Spouse Maps, on the other hand, says, I knew we were going the wrong way. Why don't you listen to me? The reality, yeah, I got an amen there. <laughs> the reality is conflict is inevitable. It happens. And whether it's political arguments that we have over the holidays or social media comments that get heated or having tough conversations about boundaries, sometimes the very people that we love the most drive us insane. Don't look at them. Don't nudge them. <laughs> so why do we, ha why do we have conflict? It boils down to our expectations versus reality. And that's the next slide. Conflict usually happens between our expectations versus reality. And the distance between our expectation and the reality is the measure of conflict. So let me give you a few examples. If I tell Marcy I'm going to be home at 7.30, that's the expectation, and I come home at 7.35, well, she's going to be gracious and understanding, no problem. 
But if I show up at 9.30 without a phone call or any type of explanation, well, chances are we're going to have more conflict. Okay? I remember telling my kids once, they were young, and they were probably under the age where you should leave kids home, but I was not going to pack four kids up in the van to get milk at the corner store. So I said, do not open the door. I'm going to only be gone for two minutes to get milk. Do not open the door. As I'm pulling out of the driveway, I notice the door open. So I stop, and I'm like, Gavin, what are you doing? He said, it's Zoe. And Zoe's a girl that lives this neighborhood kid, and I'm like, I don't care if it's Jesus Christ. Do not open the door. And if it is Jesus, he'll let himself in. <laughs> but it was clear expectation. The reality was very far, and there was a little bit of conflict. What about some of you men? Sometimes, you know, you go out of your way once in your life to clean the house, to, get, to prepare supper, you get kids in bed. What a little expectation of some... Nighttime activities. There's some clear expectations, but then reality sets in when she says, I'm tired. <laughs> Expectation, reality, conflict. <laughs> How about you women? You get your hair done up, got a new outfit on, come home, and hopefully your man, your husband, be like, oh, girl, you look fine, you look good. And as you step in the door, Instead of getting showered with praise and adoration, he's like, what's for supper? Doesn't even notice that you got your hair done. <laughs> Expectation, reality, conflict. How about this last one? I'm sure we can all relate to. You just celebrated your birthday or your mom or somebody made that favorite meal and you have that little piece of cake left over in the fridge or that, you know, that last meal just set aside and you're at work or school and you're just thinking all day, I can't wait till I come home and have that piece of cake or that, you know, lasagna, whatever it is. And then World World 3 breaks out because you open the fridge and it's gone and it's like, who ate it? Again, expectation, reality, conflict. And so the next time you have a fight, I want you to ask yourself the question, what's the present reality that's not meeting my expectation? So how do we handle conflict and anger? Ephesians 4.26 says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. And so I believe here Paul is acknowledging the fact that it's okay to be angry, but don't do anything stupid. In an alpha marriage course that my wife and I lead each year, it says, you can go to the next slide, and then the next one. <laughs> there we go. Nick and, C and Scylla Lee state that anger in, is not bad in itself. It has a God-given purpose and is part of our internal mechanism to signal something is wrong and needs to be sorted out. And so we need to understand that anger in and of, in and of itself is not a bad thing. But it's, as Paul says, just don't sin, Okay. But unfortunately, we respond to anger, we react to anger in one of two ways. And they go on to, to describe these two ways. Either you're a rhino or a hedgehog. Now you can put on the next slide there. Now rhinos, on the one hand, tend to attack when they're provoked. Those of us who are rhinos, when we get back in our corner, we attack, we explode with our words and our action. It's kind of like that guy in, Scar in um, Scarface. He turns around and says, say hello to my little friend. And he just starts shooting everybody because he was backed in a corner. Don't judge me for reference in a secular movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
But we just explode. We, 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 we react. Hedgehogs, on the other hand, tend to withdraw when they're threatened. They curl up to protect themselves. They, oftentimes, if those of you who are hedgehogs, when you deal with confrontation, you become quiet. You withdraw. You're very conflict avoidant. You usually say things like, I'm done, or just walk away. So whether you're a rhino or a hedgehog, understand that both, in both situations, you're feeling a certain level of anger. And while both reactions are different, both reactions aren't necessarily right. And sometimes they're very harmful. And so I hope from this message, those of you who are rhinos will learn what it means to calm down and use your words to communicate how you feel. And those of you who are hedgehogs, that you would learn to speak up and share how you feel. So what about the Bible? What does the Bible say about conflict? What are some examples that we could find regarding conflict? You can go to the next slide there, please. From the beginning of Genesis all the way to Revelation, you know, we're just going to highlight a few here. But there is tons of conflict. Starting with Adam and Eve. Adam threw Eve under the bus and played the blame game when God confronted them about eating the fruit from the forbidden tree, saying, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit to eat. Gave me the fruit and I ate it. Joseph's brothers became so jealous of him and his dreams that they plotted to kill, to, to kill him. And they, in the Bible it says, here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. King Nebuchadnezzar, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. King Nebuchadnezzar made clear expectations of, the three, of these three men as to what they needed to do to bow down and worship him when the music started to play. However, the reality was that these guys said, we are not bowing down. No matter how well the zither and other musical instruments are being played. And as a result, it said that Nebuchadnezzar became so furious, his face was distorted with rage. Fast forward to the New Testament. The disciples had a dispute over who was the greatest. When Jesus was being arrested, Peter took the rhino approach and got his sword and chopped the guy's ear off. Paul called out Peter for his discriminatory behavior towards the Gentile believers. But what about Jesus? How did he handle conflict? You know, we often portray Jesus as this even keel, loving guy. You know, he definitely had moments when he rubbed people the wrong way. But there's this one particular instance in Matthew 12, 13 to 17, that, I really, that really jumped out to me when it came to Jesus and how he handled conflict. It says that when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. He made a whip out of cords and drove all, the, all, all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, Get out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered, It, was, it, was, it is written, Zeal for your house will consume me. Again, Jesus had clear expectations as, as to how people should conduct themselves in the temple. And he was met with that reality when they were doing the complete opposite. And he took action. Got all Indiana Jones-like, cracking the whip and make, almost making like a rhino approach. But this account, it speaks to Jesus' humanity. Though he was fully God, he was fully man. And it, if we're being honest with ourselves, as much as we are trying to be like Jesus... 
there are going to be times that we come into situations that is going to cause us to react. And I'm by no means going to condone violence. But I'm sure we can all agree if someone did something to one of our loved ones, our kids, our spouse, the laying on of hands is not necessarily going to be for the purposes of healing them. That we would probably want to kick their blessed assurance. So, so how should we handle conflict? Well, let's start off with what you should not do. We can go to that next slide. Number one, do not fight to be right. Thank you. Because early in our marriage, that was me. My wife could be 100% right about something, but I did not want to lose. I was pretty competitive. And so I took the grenade pin off and said, you know what? I'm going to get the last word here. And you know, once that pin is pulled from the grenade, you got to do something with it. And I just tossed it and got my last word in and it just blew up because I was always fighting to be right. Number two, use sarcasm or you always or you never statements. Did you take out the garbage? No, I left it in the house to stink up the place. Well, you never take out the garbage when I ask you. Never? What do you mean never? I always take out the garbage. How many of us have had those back and forth conversations of saying you never, you always, and using sarcasm? Oftentimes it doesn't go well when you go there. Number three, use text messaging or email. <sighs> sometimes, sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes it may help to start a conversation to articulate your thoughts because some of us aren't very comfortable just speaking off the cuff or whatever. So sometimes sending a text or an email to help start the conversation may help. But if you're going to continue to exchange with one another through text or email, chances are you're not really going to resolve conflict. How many times have you had to send an email or you sent a text only to get the response, are you mad? I'm like, how do you interpret tone and stuff through a text? And so sometimes I've had to send a smiley emoji or a winky face just to assure the person that I'm not angry. And so we never want to use text messaging or email as a means to handle conflict. Next slide. Number four, call people names. I dare you, call someone a name and find out, tell me how well that goes in, when it comes to handling conflict. You know, in Matthew 23, Jesus goes off on the Pharisees and the religious leaders calling them hypocrites because they didn't practice what they were teaching. And so, you know, if you're a liar, if you have a tendency to lie, then you are a liar. And Jesus was de dealing with their behavior, and that's why he called them hypocrites. But if you find yourself calling your child or your spouse or whoever a derogatory name, then chances are you're not going to obtain peace. Number five, assume what the other person will say. How many of us are going to enter into a, a conflict with somebody and we play out the scenario in, in our brains and say, okay, I'm going to talk to Charity, and I know she's going to say this, and then I'm going to say this, and you just play this whole scenario out in your brain to the point that you just don't even bother dealing with the conflict because you're like, ah, she's not even going to hear me, and you just leave it alone. A lot of times we cannot make assumptions. Sure, there might be certain tendencies that that person may have and because of the way they've reacted in the past, but we cannot necessarily assume those things. Finally, let the sun go down on your anger. Ephesians 4:27 says, Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, I struggled with this verse, especially early on in our marriage, because when Marcy and I had a disagreement and had a fight, I wanted to apply this verse. I'm like, sweetie, babe, we are not going to let the sun go down in the anger. We're going to talk this out. 
well, talking to someone that just came off of three night shifts, 12-hour night shifts in ER, probably not the best time for me to get things off my chest. And so letting the sun go down on your anger may mean tabling that discussion for another time in the next day where both of you are a bit more level-headed. However, when we allow anger to fester and not deal with it, the latter part of Ephesians 4.27 will come to fruition. It gives a foothold to the devil. Okay? And so Master Theologian Yoda, Master Yoda, says it best this way. I wish Brett was here, because I know he loves Star Wars. But Master Yoda says this. Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> now, those of you who follow Star Wars and understand this quote and who he's saying it to or what he's talking about would understand the slippery soap that Anakin Skywalker found himself on because he was filled with anger and hate and he wasn't dealing with it properly to the point that he became a very dark person. And it is a clear picture of what can happen to you and I when we allow anger and frustration and things to, re- to go unresolved and unchecked. It lead us, leads us to a dark space. So what are the things that we should do when it comes to having a good fight? How do we actually do this? Well, number one is apply God's word. James 1.22 says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are fooling yourselves. Now, for example, imagine telling your kids, go clean your room, and they come back and tell you the, fo- the following, mom, dad, we memorized what you said, go clean your room. We've studied the meaning behind what it means to go clean our room, making our beds and putting the clothes away. We even translated it to the Greek and Hebrew and understand thoroughly what it means to clean our room. Now, have they done what you asked? No. And so I don't care how much you know God's word, how much you've studied God's word, how much you know it in the Greek and the Hebrew. It doesn't mean anything if you do not apply it. And so we need to apply God's word. And I know it's hard and difficult, but we need to be able to not just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Number two, understand that it's a spiritual battle. In Matthew 16 and Mark 8, Jesus has just finished talking to the disciples about his plan to go back to Jerusalem to suffer and die and be raised to life. But Peter, for some reason, was not fully buying in on this plan. And so he just could not accept the fact that here, this conquering Messiah was going to suffer and die. And so as a result, Peter was inadvertently being used by Satan in thinking that he was protecting Jesus. And he pulled Jesus aside and decided to reprimand Jesus for what he was saying. Unfortunately, it brought about a stern rebuke from Jesus saying, Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but of the things of man. I remember when I first read that, I thought, Wow, Jesus, that's harsh. You're calling Peter Satan. But I started to wonder, was Jesus actually talking to Peter, or was he talking to Satan who was using Peter? And the thing is, when we have battles, when we have confrontation and conflict with one another, it is a spiritual battle. Ephesians um, 6.12 says, Therefore, we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Sorry, go back. (laughs) Um, Flesh and blood enemies. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And so, 
Understand there is a devil that is trying to seek and destroy our homes, our relationships, you know, even in the church. And so we need to understand it's a spiritual battle. And that's why it's important for us to pray. So number three, we need prayer is the tool, the weapon that we use to fight these battles. To ask God for his grace, his wisdom, his insight and direction to handle conflict well. In Daniel 6, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed and that no one would pray to any, no one could pray to anyone other than the king for the next 30 days, it says that Daniel went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. And he prayed three times a day, just as he had done, always done, giving thanks to God. The officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying, asking for God's help. And so as far as it depends on you, we need to ask God for his help. Because let's face it, we cannot do this on our own. Number four, take the plank out of your own eye. Matthew 7, verses 3 to 5 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Next slide. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your, out of your, out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will, clearly, you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So many times we are so quick to call things out in other people without checking our own hearts. A lot of times we like to assume that our problems and issues smell a lot sweeter than everybody else's and that we don't need to check ourselves. And so before you confront somebody, check, our own, check your own heart. Number five, watch your tone. We all know the tone. You know, there's a difference between passionately sharing something that you're frustrated with or something that you're passionate about, something that breaks your heart or makes you angry. But then there's the tone. And there's so many times I remember Marcy and I, she would be saying something, and I understand the heart of what she's saying, but because she said it in a certain tone, I was re- end up reacting to the tone. And again, grenade pin pe- came out, and I'm like, okay, you want to give me attitude? I'm going to give you attitude. And it doesn't end well. So watch your tone. And so much, as much as we are encouraged to speak the truth to one another, we need to apply Proverbs 15.1, that a gentle, an- a-, a gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. And I remember when I started to apply this verse, because I was a little hothead growing up. You know, you got me mad. I just let it all out, told you where to go, how to get there, and put a lot of other added words there. And, but when I started to apply this and say, okay, I'm just going to talk in a calm demeanor, it really helped to diffuse a lot of arguments. Number six, clarify content. <clears throat> It's easy to misunderstand what's actually being communicated. Oftentimes I can say, talk to Sierra and say, do you understand what I mean? And she says, yeah. And I say, okay, tell me what do I mean? And she says something like, how did we land there? Like, that's totally not where I was going. And so it's so easy to misunderstand. And so that's why we need to ask clarifying questions. Because it helps alleviate the assumptions that you may have. And so let's just say Sierra and I are having a little dispute. I can ask a simple question saying, Sierra, help me to understand what's bugging you here. Help me to understand why you're reacting the way you're reacting or how you're feeling the way you're feeling. Yeah, you got it? Got it. Or it's, 
asking a simple question saying, this is what I'm hearing you say, is that what you mean? And so asking that simple question will help just to clarify things. And it's a this is a peacemaking making tactic that gives the offender the benefit of the doubt. Finally, we need to agree to disagree. There will be times where you just cannot come to a resolution. And you'll just need to agree to disagree. In Acts 15 verses 36 to 41, we see an example of this between Paul and Barnabas. They, had, they agreed to go back and visit the churches where they previously preached to see how the believers were doing. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark, but Peter is like, uh-uh, that dude is a dud. You know, because John Mark deserted them on a previous occasion and did not continue to work with him. So Paul didn't want anything to do with him at this time. And it's, the Bible says their disagreement became so sharp that they separated. And so some disagreements can get heated to the point that as far as it depends on you, means that you may need to separate yourselves from that situation until you can pursue peace again. Now, I know oftentimes Pastor Brett uses this quote, and I, I initially gave him this quote and thought it was from Dave Chappelle, but it's actually from Rick Warren. And it says that our culture has accepted two, two huge lies. The first is that if you disagree with someone's lifestyle, you must fear or hate them. The second is that to love someone means you disagree, you agree with everything they, they believe, say, or do. Both are nonsense. You don't have to, you don't have to, you, uh, you don't have to, oh, uh, you don't have to, compa- this is not making sense. <laughs> you don't have to compromise. Gosh, sorry. You don't have to compromise your convictions to be compassionate. And so over the last few years, we've seen this on display whether it's how we deal with race relations. You know, we've come out of this whole pandemic and it has caused so much division even within the church that it's heartbreaking to understand that this is the hill that some people are choosing to die on, whether it's vax or unvax, mask or not mask and whatever. Yet there's a people and a world that we are needing to reach with the gospel. And so Jesus never allowed one's choice like the woman caught in adultery or one ethnic background like the Samaritan woman at the well, or one's occupation like, the, like Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, the tax collector, to stop him or prevent him from showing love to those individuals. And we need to be the same, that we don't allow one's background, one's belief, one's choice to affect us or prevent us from loving them. If the worship team will come back up, I'm going to wrap up here sh- shortly. So when you find yourself in a situation that needs some relational peace, first of all, you need to talk about the hurt. Take the initiative to bring it out to the open so things can be healed. In Matthew 5, 23 to 24, it says, So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before, you, before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and come and offer your gift. Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And so going back to Romans 8 or 12, 18, it says, as far as it depends on you, in these two verses, we see it is your responsibility. If I'm the one who um, has hurt somebody and I know that, I'm going to pick on Sierra again, I know Sierra has something against me because I have hurt her, it is my responsibility to go and confront her, to apologize, to own that. However, it also says, 
if someone has sinned against you, you need to be the one to deal with it as well. So again, it, the onus is on you. Oftentimes we're going to say, well, I'm not going to confront them until they apologize. Well, sometimes you're going to be waiting a long time. And you're going to be carrying that hurt, that resentment, and then go down that nice slippery slope. And hopefully you'll remember Master Yoda speaking to you about the dark side that you're going to land on because of your, your choice to not confront. Number two, say sorry. I notice here on your guys' wall, it says we, for, we make mistakes, we say sorry. And sometimes that is the hardest two words to say, I'm sorry. Because it takes a level of humility and ownership. And so we need to take responsibility and re- resist the urge to make excuses or to blame others um, for why we're doing what we're doing. Apologizing opens the way for reconciliation and healing. Third, we need to forgive. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this. And Lord willing, if Pastor Brett has me back, I really would love to talk about this because this is a message in and of itself. But like you said, we forgive. Forgiveness is essential and one of the greatest forces for healing. Forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. Forgiveness is not pretending that the hurt doesn't matter or denying the hurt. Forgiveness is facing the wrong that was done to us, recognizing the emotions inside, and choosing not to hold it against the person that we are in a disagreement with. In Colossians 3.13, it says, Make allowance for each other's faults, and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Ephesians 4, 31 to 32 says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And so the most, most important component of being a peacemaker is being able to forgive. And so when you are doing so, you are being a peacemaker. You are being a child of God. And finally, you need to start again together. Each time when you make that choice to forgive, you are trying to hit the reset button, the restart button to rebuild trust. And now I know I'm not painting this picture that if Sarah and I were in such a sharp disagreement that we're just going to go out for coffee the next day, some relationships, it's going to take some time to rebuild trust, to mend those fences. But Jesus has done that for us time and time again. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You can start playing. And so for those of us here, I don't know where everybody is at in their spiritual walk, but if you're here and you are not a follower of Christ, I want to encourage you because maybe you came here with a friend or whatever and you want that fresh start. The Bible is very clear that God is faithful to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus fought the biggest fight for your salvation, for our salvation, so that he can have a relationship with you. And so as we go into this time of prayer, if you are here and you do not, have not made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior, it's very simple. It's just to confess that you're a sinner. It's acknowledging what Jesus has done on the cross for you and accepting his free gift of salvation. For those of us who are Christ followers, let's be honest. Um, When it comes to being a peacemaker, 
I'm sure we can all agree we have fallen short. And those of you who are parents, I'm going to speak to you directly. Sometimes it means apologizing to your kids. Because a lot of times, like, I'm your dad. You're just going to do as I say. And it's, if we don't have the humility to say, you know what, son, daughter, you know what, my bad. What I said, what I did was hurtful. And we need to model that for our kids. But we need to ask Holy Spirit, empower me, help us so that I can forgive, that I can hum- humble myself and make things right with my brother and sister. Because too many times we come into this house, worshiping, praising God, while looking at the worship leader and like, oh, I can't stand that Nick guy. And, but I'm going to raise my hands anyways. Praise the Lord. Oh my goodness. Like, he's horrible. Whatever, right? These attitudes, these thoughts that go through our brain and God doesn't honor that. And so... As we go through this time of prayer, I want you, wherever you stand, um, is to do some self-reflection. To say, God, search my heart. Point out if there's any offensive way in me. And forgive me and help me to forgive. Help me before I present my gift to the altar next time I come to church to take some active approaches to confront some people, to deal with some people that I may have hurt or people who may have hurt me. And so before we do that, I'll turn it back to the worship team. If you go to the last slide, I'm a strong advocate for, you know, the previous one, um, is, is to have a time of discussion. You know, you guys are going to go to wherever, Boston Pizza or whatever, um, go home for lunch. And I don't want you to just talk about the sermon in terms of, oh man, that guy was horrible. I wish Pastor Brett was here next week or whatever. Um, but I want you to have a serious discussion. And so if you want to take a picture of this, you can. But I want you to ask, just have a conversation with your family about what you heard. Are you a rhino or a hedgehog? That's a simple, easy discussion. I'm sure all, you guys can point out in each other and be like, you are definitely a rhino. Or Number two, think about the last fight you had and ask yourself, what was the present reality that was not meeting my expectation? Because if you remember that, you'll help understand, okay, what is getting you frustrated right now? What was that expectation that was not being met? Number three, which of the do-nots are you guilty of? Do you tend to text message? Do you tend to, you know, use sarcasm, you always statements? You know, what are you guilty of? Number four, of the following, which of the following steps to fight a good fight do you need to work on? Do you need to pray more? Do you need to watch your tone? What is it? What do you need to work on? And finally, who do you need to forgive? That's where the rubber meets the road, folks. And so let's pray. And then as the worship team plays, we're just going to have a time of prayer. And then they're going to lead us in one more song. And I believe Elliot's going to come and close but allow God, allow Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts this morning. And so, Father God, we just turn this time over to you. This whole time has been about you, Lord God. But I pray that you would search our hearts. Help us to really examine our motives and intentions. And grant us the humility, Lord, to make things right with our brother and sister. Your word says the world will know you through our love for one another. And sometimes it takes doing those hard things of forgiveness, extending grace. We understand, God, we make mistakes. 
And so God help us to own that, to say we're sorry, to say we forgive as you have forgiven us. And so Lord, have your way in Jesus' name, amen.